Hey there, this is Dee Yvonne Rivers, your host for Birth Moms Real Talk, a podcast where you will hear the journeys of birth mothers who have placed children in adoption and also have some emotional and tough conversations, or you may say hot topics about adoption. Listen in. Good day, everyone. My name is Dee Yvonne Rivers. I'm your host for Birth Moms Real Talk podcast. This is a platform where birth mothers share their journey. They share their story. They give you the real deal and the real talk. So listen in and put your ear to the window and see the story inside with birth moms. I'm so happy to have with me today as my guest, Ruby Lee. Welcome, Ruby Lee. Hi, Yvonne. Thank you so much for having me. Good, good, good. Well, we're here to hear your story today. So I want you to to kick it off about sharing uh, your journey, your story, and starting maybe how you grew up and leading to your role as a birth mom. All right. Well, I'm delighted for the opportunity to share that. Um, Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest, uh, in Wisconsin, on Lake Michigan, and... uh, I'm the youngest of six in my family, and, you know, our family was a uh, probably middle-class, working-class family. My mom stayed home and took care of us. My dad uh, went to work in a factory every day, and um, it was a pretty boilerplate deal. Big neighborhood, lots of kids, and uh, mostly... um, my mom and I had a kind of a difficult relationship, and especially I think I went into a puberty when she was in menopause and oh, wow. like, <laughs> in fire. Um, but at any rate, when I was uh, 16, I met a young man, and um, he he's, he's a black young man, and I had known him in uh, junior high school uh, Mm -hmm. casually, and we saw each other at this festival in the summer and caught each other's eye, and we um, were attracted to one another. And Mm -hmm. I knew, um, to be honest, I knew that was not going to be a popular uh, choice for my, especially my father. He was um, very outspoken about his, um, like, Bigotry. Mm. What year was this now? What year was this? This was 1969. Okay. And, you know, really uh, not that many years after the segregation of schools. And uh, there had been a lot of, um, in our town, working class city, um, and and as an aside, my eldest brother was mayor of our city at the time. Okay. And uh, oh, you were going to really stir up the family. Um, and, and you know, it was. I know people have said, "Oh, were you just being, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, um, rebellious teenager?" I really wasn't. Okay. I just really liked the guy, mm-hmm. and uh, he was smart, and he was funny, and he was good looking. You know, the things you're attracted to when you're right. sixteen, right? And um, and at any rate, we had had racial strife in our town, like every other mm-hmm. city um, during those times. And so, at any rate, it was a it was a relationship, uh, rather closeted, 
Um, I, I didn't tell my parents about it. I snuck out. I, I did what I had to do to see him. And, mm. and I had, and I think, I think that probably contributed to our early intimacy because we were just pretty isolated. Right. I was, I was um, able to go to his home, um, his parents and uh, siblings. So they were accepting of you? Yeah, they were. Um, okay. One, one of the brothers, not so much. Um, he was concerned um, because my brother was the mayor and because mm-hmm. I was a white girl. He was concerned. Mm-hmm. But, but in general, I felt welcome there. At any rate, um, I graduated early, um, a year early. So I graduated at 17, and um, I got pregnant on prom night. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And and ironically, um, yeah, well, I got pregnant on prom night, and and a joke among some of my friends uh, later was, you should have danced all night. (laughs) Well, in a way, you did. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. And, you know, I was really convinced that um, he and I would get married. Okay. And and by this time, my parents had found out about the relationship. They they had forbidden me to see him. Mm. And I said that I was just, you know, I had graduated. I was working. I had a full-time job. I wasn't going to go to college. Um, That wasn't really uh, encouraged in my family at the time. Okay. Subsequently, though, I, we all went to college as adults, but but I was working, and um, I just thought, well, I'm just going to get married, and and my dad said I wasn't, and uh, mm. then I browbeat him. Uh, I was very ill when I got pregnant. My mother's the one, by the way, who told me uh, that she thought I was pregnant. She saw before you told her. She could tell. I had okay. morning sickness. I, I should have known, and I feel mm-hmm. embarrassed when I think back on it, but I, I had an erratic menstrual cycle. I We had been sexually active for a year, and I thought, mm, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she called me at work one day and said, your dad's taking you down for a pregnancy test after work today. And when it was positive... I was upstairs in my bedroom, Mm -hmm. and my mom called upstairs, I hope you're happy you're pregnant. Wow. And um, from that point forward, my dad barely spoke to me. Um, He just had these sad eyes. and, Mm -hmm. and and, And he... Although we were a Catholic family, mm-hmm. he wanted to take me to New York to get an abortion, uh-huh. and I refused. I said I didn't want to do that because, again, I really thought I was going to get married. Mm-hmm. And um, then my dad, finally, I finally broke him down, and he said, fine, you can get married. I'll sign for you to be married, but you will never be welcome here again. Oh, wow. And I said... Being a you know seventeen year old mm-hmm. in love, I said fine with me, and and I told my boyfriend mm-hmm. that we could get married, and I was so excited. And he, in, I mean, in retrospect, I mean, this is a long time ago. Yeah. Now my you know my daughter just turned fifty one in March. Right. So, but my my recollection is that he 
was going along with me. But uh, at one point in the middle of the summer, when my girlfriend and I were planning the wedding, mm. he, he stood up in the room and said, I'm not marrying you. Was that your first inclination that you would not be getting married? You had yes. no clue before. I really did. Well, initially I thought I wouldn't be allowed. And then once my dad said, go ahead, I'll mm -hmm. sign. Mm -hmm. I thought, I really thought I was going to be married. And, uh, and, and he walked, you know, the, my boyfriend walked out of the apartment we were in or we were with friends mm -hmm. and I just basically, I went out to follow him. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find him. I collapsed in the grass um, wow. on the fair lawn, and I just sobbed because wow. I thought, well, now I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to do. Were you and able to have a talk with him after that? Yes. Okay. We spoke, um, and we continued to see each other um, until, until I left. And so what happened was my mother took me to Catholic Social Services, And um, they told her about the Salvation Army Booth Memorial Hospital mm -hmm. in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. And uh, we drove up there in August and visited and met with the, the captain and, uh, and the other officers. Right. And it was a beautiful building. And, mm -hmm. and it was, anyway, they were very kind and... And she asked when I would be coming, and my mother said it's really important for her to come before she starts showing because my son is the mayor. And um, so I went, my due date was March 10th, 1971, and I went to Booth Memorial Hospital on September 30th, 1970. So I was four months pregnant. Mm -hmm and not showing at all. In fact, my nickname with the girls was Twiggy. Oh, really? <laughs> Twiggy was popular that time. She was. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was so ill from mm. morning sickness that lasted all day mm -hmm. that I had, you know, wasted away. You know, I lost 12 pounds after I... Wow. So at any rate, I was there. Um, so did Brother Mayor know you were pregnant? Yes. So okay. My my sister knew. Um, I have one sister. She's 12 years my senior, and um, she knew because she was still in our hometown. My three brothers, one was deployed to Germany in the Army, mm -hmm. one was in the Marines in California, and the other was living in California. So um, only my, bro my eldest brother, who was mayor, and my sister were told. Okay. at that time and um, so it was awkward um, I the story my parents made up was that I went to school that I was going to be a dental assistant I don't know why a assistant, <laughs> imagination they have to have the carte blanche to just make up whatever they choose because you will not be there I wouldn't be there and 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 I couldn't have been less interested in that <laughs> choice but um You know, we didn't have a lot of money, and there was a room and board situation. And there, so, so the arrangement at the home was the basement was the kitchen, the dining room, the classroom for the students that were still in school, and 
hold on the smoking room. There was a smoking room. We were still smoking. Oh my pregnant, goodness! As pregnant women, yes, <laughs> yes, I know it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, were, I mean, were there doctors, nurses there to care for you? The, the, then the first floor was offices and the uh, community room and the craft room. And then the second floor was the hospital floor. Okay. And the third floor was dorms. Okay. So we had nurses on the hospital floor. We had a doctor that came every week. Mm-hmm. And um, did his examinations on Tuesday nights. I, for some reason, that's a clear memory. Um, and I remember his name because it's on my daughter's birth certificate. Okay. So, at any rate, so yeah, but and we and there was a strict weight, and we, we could only gain twenty pounds. Really? So they yes. monitored your weight. Yeah, and so if we started to gain, they would give us water pills. What? I'm not making this up. <laughs> Water pills for real diuretic to sort of make Diuretics. you just... Yes, <sighs> yes, yes. And so we were really, um, you know, it was pretty... And so, in, and in those days, if you do the history on it, there were a lot of low birth, you know, birth mm-hmm. because we, we were smoking for stars. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, common sense might have clued us. That was a bad idea, but... But that room, that smoking room, that wow. I still have a friend that um, I had. I had two friends that I stayed in touch with from there. Okay. In uh, all of our best conversations, are we played games, we knitted, we crocheted, we we pretty much lived in that smoking room. So wow. We were we smoking, but we were secondhand. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the first I've heard. There was a smoking room and underwent mother's room, uh, homes. In a Salvation Army. That was, it's kind of shocking. But at any rate, we, um, what happened was, even though I was only 17 and normally to work, to have a paid job on the hospital floor, you needed to be 18. But they made an exception for me because of our financial Dress as a family, and also because I I wasn't going to school. I had graduated. Right, okay. So I went to work um, as a nurse's aide, and I um, cleaned up uh, labor rooms, delivery rooms. um, Wow. Because you were uh, how old at that time? 17. 17, okay. Okay. And so that was really good that um, not only did I get paid $1.60 an hour. Oh, wow. But I also, um, you know, I had something to do, and, mm-hmm. and I had, and I learned, and I learned some skills. I mean, it okay. was, and I learned what it was going on in the labor and delivery rooms. So right, that was helpful leading up to birthing mm-hmm. myself. And so, at any rate, I made some. You know, I don't have. I didn't say a lot about my environment. My mother was so angry at me. Um, mm. And and critical, and it was so unbearable to be home. So that summer before I went away, I would I would go to my boyfriend's house, and we would play cards. We would go to lunch, and then he worked um, night shift, and he would go to work because I got fired. That's the other thing. I got fired from my job mm-hmm. because I was sick, and mm-hmm. also I got lectured by my boss that I was throwing my life away. 
that, wow. you know, he had seen my boyfriend and it was a bad choice. That was all that. So in other words, what kind of work were you doing? So you really weren't encouraged. Obviously, the racial difference was a major it, thing, right? It was huge. Okay. And, and, and I was doing office work. I mm-hmm. had I'd gotten that job. Uh, I worked part-time through my senior year and then stayed in the summer full-time. And and I had and I had had a good um, working relationship, but it, there was it. I you know they couldn't keep me, and I really was sick. I was mm, very productive. Right. So, but um, well, Ruby Lee, let's go back one because you. I think you said your mother said to you when she or called you when you went upstairs that now that you're happy, or are you happy that you're pregnant now? Was that the statement she said? I hope I hope you're happy. What do you think was behind that? Well, you know, it's interesting, Yvonne, because a lot came out later in life, but um, my mother had her own story Mm. as a young woman and her own uh, life experience around a similar deal that we didn't know about. Mm. She was in her late 80s. Really? Yeah. So she had that. My sister had had a child as an unmarried young woman at the age of 21. And then along comes me. My mom was real old school, Yvonne, and and had this idea that she passed this gene on to us. Really? Okay. That's, you think that's what that meant? But you didn't know about your, her situation before, right? No, I did not. No. A lot of secrets. A lot yeah. of secrets in our family. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of families, right? Yeah, and mo- most most families. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, going to the home was, aside from the fact that I was really sad to leave my boyfriend in the mm-hmm. last day, I asked my dad to bring me by his house on the way to the home that I could say goodbye. And it, we sat... He and I, my boyfriend and I, sat on the bottom steps at his house um, in his foyer, and we both cried. Mm-hmm. And he said, why do they have to send you away? Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm thinking, why aren't you marrying You know, I was going to ask you what other further conversation, because once they decided that you were going to go away, did he have any, any comments or input into... Like what you, what your life would be, even just your life, if you two of you weren't going to be together and get married. I, you know, I don't. Re- I remember that I tried to change his mind the entire summer. Mm-hmm. Way, mm-hmm. and I remember him saying over and over, "We're just too young," and you know, he wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I think I was more uh, committed to the idea of being with him than he was right. being okay. with me. Okay. And, 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 and a lot of things happened after I went away. He did date other girls. He, um, I saw him twice. He had, uh, his family had me come to their house on Thanksgiving, which I did not tell my parents. So mm. they would have not appreciated knowing I was I busted out of the home on um, Thanksgiving and came mm. back to our hometown. But we just went to his house. I had Thanksgiving with his whole extended family, mm-hmm. in which I'm not 
honestly, I just kept thinking he's going to change his mind. Wow. I just, you were holding on to hope. It just really was. And I, um, and I, and then he came to see me in February and I was quite pregnant by then. And he was really uncomfortable. I remember I wanted him to touch my belly and mm-hmm. feel our baby moving. And he, he was like, nah, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and then when I came home, um, we did date for a little while longer. And then I found out he had another girlfriend and anyway, mm-hmm. everything kind of unraveled, but, but the home experience for me being with the other pregnant girls mm-hmm. and having a job and being one of the working girls, we called ourselves cause we thought that was really funny, but, um, <sighs> We had our own wings, so and I was okay. the youngest of them, but we, we were close, we were bonded, we were we were there for each other. And, you know, we went we went to downtown Milwaukee, we were able to go to restaurants together, we went to the ice capades once. Oh wow. I had some adventures and I felt it was just it was better than being home and on. Right, the, right. Now, did 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 you have conversations with all of the rest of the girls about the situation that you were all in? Did you talk about it? Yeah, we talked about it. There's so many different stories. Um, mm-hmm. There was only one other girl there who admitted Lee was pregnant with a mixed race child. Okay, um, and there. And, and there were girls who found that out about me and about this other girl and were outwardly unkind. Mm. Um, there, there was that, and that was, I mean, that was, I was used to that because I lost friends when I started dating. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't surprised by that. Um, yeah. but but we talked about the different situations. One of my friends who I'm still in relationship with, um, both of us senior citizens, mm-hmm. and yeah. she, her um, birth father wrote her a letter every single day. Wow. And uh, she received a letter every day. But when she left, she went straight home and broke up with him because she just couldn't stay in that relationship and having having surrendered her child to adoption. So um, there were a handful of girls that were going to keep their babies and knew they were going to, but Mm -hmm. were there for the care and for the... um, And and quite frankly, I don't really know why some of them were there that were going to take their babies home because their families were open to it. There were, um, there were, it was mostly girls who had been abandoned in their, you know, by their birth fathers. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sadly a lot of us still were hope, you know, we were just hopeful that we were going to keep the relationship. Um, so how was it when you were there and you say you say you broke out Thanksgiving and went to your boyfriend's house? Did your family stay in contact with you? How was that? Um, my parents came to see me once a month. Okay. 
and uh, and I talked to my mother on the phone. We had, there were there were phone booths. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right in the stairwell, and we would be lined up up the steps with pot, you know piles of coins in in the bag. <laughs> yeah, and plugging coins into the phone booth or into the phone. But I would call collect. I would call home. Uh, now, see, you need to explain call collect. So a lot of people listening probably don't know what call collect is. So yeah, you would dial the operator and you'd say, "I want to place a call to this number," and then they would call and they would say, "Hello, we have a collection." Yeah, really? Will you accept? Will you accept? Because you had to be accepted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I, I made a lot of collect calls, um, and and so I did see my parents, and they would come and get me and take me to get something to eat. And then bring me back and drop me off. My Did they sister. talk to you about the situation? Oh, no. Okay. No. I okay. mean, it was understood mm-hmm. once I made the decision, or once the decision was made. Right. Say, for me to go to the home that I was going to be surrendering the child mm-hmm. to adoption. Mm-hmm. And um, it was understood. So we never talked about it. Mm-hmm. And we... Um, uh, my sister came to see me once, and then in February, my one of my brothers came home from California, and he was in transition, and he moved in with my parents for a short time, and he, at the end of the day, he said, where's Ruby? And, um... Oh, he didn't know. No. I mean, it, <laughs> I, I, and they didn't tell him. Maybe he'd been there like a, a couple days or whatever. And, or, or he got there at night the night before. Anyway, he's like, where, you know, when is she coming home from work? And my mom said, well, she's not. And, well, where is she? And so she told him. And he's like, I want to see her. <sighs> so they brought him to mm-hmm. see me. And he, he was six years older than, than I. And so anyway, he was very very sad for mm-hmm. me he knew my boyfriend he was the one brother that accepted the relationship okay um okay he was really upset with him my boyfriend that he wasn't gonna mm-hmm. do the right thing as we called it mm-hmm. and uh but he came to see me and i was so happy to see him and so happy that somebody else uh knew right and then um, I started talking, in February, I started talking to my mother about keeping the baby. I started to say, I don't think I can do this. I, I want to keep the baby. And um, apparently, she reached out to my sister-in-law, who wrote me a letter from Germany, where my brother was stationed, mm-hmm. and pretty much read me the riot act in the letter, saying, you know, shame on you, don't be selfish. Um, this is and this is and this is the message we received, right, Yvonne? It's like mm-hmm. don't be selfish. Exactly. Do the right thing for the child. When you mentioned for us, do the right thing. That's what we were told. Well, do the right thing. The right thing for whom? Exactly. And mm-hmm. and, and I had a, a caseworker from Catholic Social Services, a man, and I remember he was very kind, but he it was understood that you know, we were not fit to be parents. Um, the child would be better off in a two-parent family. Um, there would be uh, 
and 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 I was so naive mm-hmm. about the fact that I mean to be frank, and I, I hope this is okay to say, but mm-hmm. there were lots of blonde, blue-eyed babies to be adopted, mm-hmm. and and there were there weren't a lot of people beating the board the doors down for a mixed race child. Absolutely. Because the odds you say for is the odds or percentages or hard to place or terminology that was given. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I naively, being 17 years old, mm-hmm. having that sort of, you know, not not feeling that, I thought right. I, that never occurred to me that mm-hmm. this might be a situation that my child would face. And I was... Um, at any rate, my, there was no one in my circle encouraging me to keep my child. Mm-hmm. The only person who I there was at one point, and this is a, this is a, this is a problem in my life today. At one point, when I, when I was still in contact with the birth father, he said, "My mother said she would take the baby." And I said no Mm -hmm. because I'm 17 and I'm thinking, how am I gonna, how am I gonna give my child to somebody I know and not be involved in that? Right, right, right. And 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 shame on you. You're gonna, you're not gonna step up and Mm -hmm. parent this child with me. But but by the time the child was born, that offer was no longer okay. available because right. I, again, I kept trying. I didn't, I didn't sign papers for over a month okay. after my child was born. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> at any rate, um, not to bounce around back and forth on the timeline, but I did start talking about keeping the child. Um, I just couldn't. I just couldn't see how I could do it. I was mm-hmm. ignorant to the resources that might be available. Uh, my family was very uh, Midwestern. We take care of ourselves. We don't take handouts, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I just, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand what options might be right. available. And nobody nobody was saying, hey, there are other choices and this is what you might be able to do. Right, right, right. These are the financial resources available. These are the housing resources available. I mean, none of that, none of that was communicated to me. Um, It was just understood that I just would do the right thing. Well, you know, the the era you're talking about in the late 60s and 70s is that was, quote-unquote, the way it was. Separate aside from you having a biracial child, the whole thing of you not, oh, of course you can't raise this child. You don't know what you're doing, you know. And really, it's it's just, I guess, the stigma of putting as if all birth moms are dumb. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you got that or not. As if you didn't, like you weren't intelligent and you didn't have the capability of making your own decision. Do you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. I felt like um, once... Once it was known that there had been premarital sex, 
your in your intellect was okay. Yeah, suddenly I'm dumb all. Your common sense. <laughs> I mean, every everything was stripped. It's like, well, you did this thing, therefore, yeah. all of you have all these other defects. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. It, it it didn't make sense to me either when you're talking about Ford's and been the the, the Monica of the um, unwed mother. What, what what got me? And I don't know if you heard this word. You probably. The child is illegitimate. Illegitimate. And I'm like, yes. what is an Ill- <laughs> I just couldn't wrap my head. So if I was married, then I'll make it legitimate. But if it's, I says I'm not, the child is Ill- illegitimate. You know, right. and turn it, I mean, call the B word. And I'm like, what? Yes. And and that, um, you know, ironically, is as recently as a couple of years ago, uh, I was in the company of a gentleman who was telling me about, um, he heard it, that I had been telling my story and he said well you know my sister had some had had an illegitimate child he used the word yeah in in this in this decade and then he and then he said she has she has real kids too oh no oh no oh no oh no did he use the word real and and my partner looked at me and I and he he could see in my eyes that there was no way I wasn't gonna speak out. Mm. I, I was gonna let the illegitimate thing go right <laughs> know him that well. But when he said real kids, Whoa. I was like, wow. I said, Whoa. we don't get to talk about humans as being either real or right. legitimate or illegitimate. Right. <laughs> right. Adjectives that apply. Yes. 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 With that blank stare. And I thought, okay, yeah, I'm not going to change view, but I can't not say it. But right. at any rate, it was, um, so I went into labor um, a week early on March 3rd. 1971, and uh, I called my mother because you know I'm now feeling these mm. contractions, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, "Wow, I don't know if I can do this by myself." So I mm-hmm. called my mother, and she said, "Okay, well, call us when it's over." I want to tell you when my 17-year-old daughter had her child my 27-year-old granddaughter today, mm-hmm. there, you couldn't have kept me from her mm-hmm. side through mm-hmm. that pregnancy and, in that, and, and as her birth, birthing partner. I was right. Right, I, right there. And, right. Uh, and to this day, it's like, it's not, forgiveness did not come easy for me around some of this stuff. But. Well, so, some of the things you're talking about, because not only... Um, not knowing, because that was the thing for me. My mom was very passive and really got got really nothing information even before becoming pregnant. It's like and figuring out, well, well, I don't know what labor feels like. Are these labor pains or what is the water breaking? You know, you can go to your doctor, but you, you don't know. So it's sort of like I didn't have anyone to talk to who had been through birth. And you, you figure out a lot of things yourself, and hopefully someone would be there. And that was your time you reached out and, okay, call me when it's over. Like Hamlet, yeah. which a lot of birth moms had to do alone. That's right. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew that because I had been there for five months by this point. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And I had... So was anyone from the home able to assist you? Or did he sort of sent you to a car to the hospital? No, it was upstairs or where was the hospital? Yeah, I was right there on the okay. second floor. So um, I went down there. I timed, you know, my contractions. I had conversations with my buddies um, and, and so many mixed emotions because knowing... Uh, number one, I got to go back home after this. And my parents had moved from our chi- my childhood home where I had only ever lived. <laughs> they moved well. well. Now, did they move because you were? <laughs> no, I'm laughing, but I'm. They did they move because you were got pregnant? Maybe we don't. I, you know, we never talked about it. I don't know. All I know is they packed up and. And none of us were, I mean, my brother just happened to come home and the, that brother I talked about, uh-huh. see me, the moving van was there. That was when they were <sighs> He didn't, nobody knew, but at any rate, um, I knew I was going to have to go home and I wasn't looking forward to that, except I thought I was going to rekindle my relationship with the birth father and I thought I could convince him to marry mm-hmm. me. And... Um, and but I was leaving all my buddies, you know, and some of who had had their babies and left, and but I was gonna, but it was, you know, so, so talk I wasn't to me, have Ru- my baby anymore. Talk, talk to me, Ruby Lee, about what was that resounding thing that you just didn't give up on the fact that he was going to marry you? What kept you holding on? What kept me holding on? Um, you know. I absolutely adored him and thought that he felt the same about me. And I could not wrap my brain around the fact that I was going to have to give my child away. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just didn't want to do it. And, and in my conditioning... And everything I was hearing that even my sister, when my sister had her child, she changed her last name back to her birth father's because my mother had been married and divorced Mm -hmm. um, so that so that my parents could say that she had gotten married and then divorced. Mm. So she changed her name. So all the conditioning was, I have to get married or yeah. I can't keep this child. Right. I'm, I'm seeing that now with what you just said, because what you just described, I, you had, like you had to hold on to that. I Is it because he was your only option for you to keep your child? Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. what I believed. And okay. I, because uh, I knew my parents weren't going to be there for me. Right. Right. I already, I'd already been told it was crystal clear, um, and, uh, anyway, so when I, um, I had, I did get the best nurse on the floor when I was okay. in labor. And I remember her, we, she had had a child that she had surrendered. Wow. You know, I've had another mom share that same story because I use the word they're, they're, they're coming out to woodwork or, or they're there. You know, they're there and, and they choose when they're going to share their story. But I've seen so many times is like when you when they see your circumstance or you talk about it, because I can just remember four years ago when I found my son and I was talking all around and so forth. And I did, too. And I really I heard a lot of me, too. It wasn't the other me, too movement, but it was a right, birth mom. Right. Me, too. Right. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. And that is the most that's the best thing about what you're doing. Yeah. And. 
continuing these conversations yeah. is all the me too. And, uh-huh. and so I had this, and, and I remember, you know, it was probably, let's see, I went up there, I went where I went to the hospital floor around three and um, my girl was born at eight, little couple shortly after eight o'clock. And, um, oh my gosh. What was that first experience? Oh, I just... Did you see her? Did you see her? I touched. Oh, yes. Um, well, I didn't. You know, they took her, you know, right to the to the warmer. Okay. Um, right after she was born. But um, because I was... And then they gave us they gave us a shot to dry up our breast milk. <laughs> so That's another that. conversation. We're going to have one Is about it? that, too. Oh, no, my goodness. And <laughs> then... Um, and, and I had had a spinal anesthesia mm-hmm. when they were blocked, when everything was dead from the waist down. And mm-hmm. so I was flat on my back for eight hours after the birth. And But I did, I, they wheeled me over to the phone. Mm-hmm. I called my parents because it was over. Was, <laughs> oh, now you had permission to call. And I said, you know, I had a baby girl. Mm-hmm. And I said... And she's beautiful, and she's got dark, curly hair. My dad and I, both dark, curly hair. Okay. And so, you know, in my, you know, I was so naive. You know, I'm thinking this is, I, I'm just excited. You know, mm-hmm. I birthed this child, and, and she's beautiful. And and I remember the cool reception and, and my parents saying that they would, that they would be up in a couple days to pick me up. And then, um, and then I called Willie's. Oh, I said his name. It's fine. He passed on. So, okay. um, I called his house, and uh, and his mom answered because he was at work. And I said, you know, I had a baby girl, and she said, oh, I'll tell him when he gets home. And I said, thank you. And uh, and then, you know, I spent three days there, and. My child was with me, uh, not in my room, but I went into the nursery. I held mm. her every day. I sang to her. I talked to her. Wow. Um, I wow. stared into her face and uh, memorized her. I know that feeling. And and the Salvation Army has a um, ceremony called a dedication ceremony. Oh, okay. Where the child is dedicated to God mm-hmm. and and it was our one chance most of the girls participated some didn't there were girls who didn't want to see their babies mm-hmm. um, there were girls that um, didn't want to go through the ceremony but I had knitted a blanket and, oh, wow. and you know booties and a sweater <laughs> and uh, I got her all dressed and we went down to the chapel wow. uh, chapel was required the Salvation Army home. We went every Sunday to the chapel. And uh, so I went down to the chapel, and the captain did this dedication ceremony. And um, I walked down the center aisle with my baby, and she did the ceremony and the prayer. And then all the girls would gather around. And wow. And it was our one moment, you know, our one moment of, you know. So do you have any, did you have any other visitors during the time you were there? Um, no visitors. My sister, my parents. Oh, your sister and parents. Okay, they did come. The two days afterwards. Yeah. 
And they, and they, well, and I made them, I made my parents look at the baby. (laughs) Now, how did you do that? How did you do that? I just said, I really need for you to see the baby. Okay. I I need you to do it. Okay. And my mom, I knew she really wanted to. Mm. And this is the thing. This was my father's first biological grandchild. Wow. Because my eldest siblings who had children were not his children. Okay. Okay. So I, it was years, Yvonne, before that struck me. Mm. Years. Because, I mean, we were very, I, we didn't think of my brother and sister as our half brother. Right, right, and right. So yeah. it was years. I was like, oh my God, I had the first. That was his first, yeah. And he, you know, he had a very stoic look on his face, but mm. he saw her. And, um, and then uh, after that was the day B. Actually, they came to see me right after the baby was born. Okay. Because I had to stay on the fourth day I went home. Okay. On the fourth, on the third day they came for me. You know, what you just said about your dad reminded me of something. I'll get your opinion what you think the same. Just as with parents, when their daughters come to them and say they're pregnant, whether they can acknowledge it or not, they stuff those feelings just as much as birth moms will stuff the feelings for years because they're told, no, you know, you can't and so forth and, and you, you don't deserve. It's that stuffing of the feelings, I think, on both sides. And depends on depends on the family, on what kind of communication skills they had before. But along with it, that point you just said about your dad, he may not express that, but that was his first grandchild. Exactly. How can you, I shouldn't say how can you not, but how, I mean, our bodies have emotions and whether we express them openly or not, they're still there. It's happening. Yeah. And I was his baby girl. See? And I know, I know that there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of unsaid, Mm -hmm. there's so much we could have said to one another. Right, Um, right. But they're not, not weren't capable, uh, had the words for it. I mean, whatever you want to call it. So I know I just speak for that's that's how I process through it and, and be able to forgive my family, my mom and dad, because they weren't there. They couldn't. They weren't able to be there for me. They weren't able to. Yeah. That, that's just the truth. It is the truth. Yeah. And you said it earlier. It was the time. There was st- the entire culture supported mm-hmm. Where my parents and your parents were. Exactly. The entire culture. There was nobody supporting us. Nope. Nope. And, but the nope. entire culture was behind mm-hmm. the, their approach. And mm-hmm. So, and then, and then you get to come home. I got to come home with, you know, f- what, dropping out of dental assistance? Because <laughs> <laughs> did you get that question? You know, you decided not to be a dental assistant or what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and so I came home um, and uh, and I continued to believe mm-hmm. that I was going to make this work. And and my my um, social worker kept saying, you know, we need to set a court date. We need to set a court date for you to sign the papers. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm. Um, I'll get back to you. Right, right. So in April, early April, 
I, uh, <clears throat> I convinced my boyfriend to, to, to meet the baby. Oh, okay. I contacted uh, Catholic Social Services, and they delivered her to an office in a neighboring town, and I think that's where the her foster home was. And he and I drove there, and we sat in a room. There was a crib. Mm. The baby was in the crib when we got there, so she was about a month old. And uh, I have fo- I have photos of that day, little in, you know, little instamatic. Mm-hmm. And I have um, and. And I have a picture of me holding her. And there was a picture of him holding her, but somewhere along the way I destroyed all evidence of him in my, you know, painful separation from him. But at any rate, um, I begged him, this is what I said, just marry me for a day. Oh, wow. That's how ingrained in me Mm. (laughs) this concept was that... I, as long as I had gotten married, now this legitimizes, right, this this child, and I can keep her. Uh, Back again to illegitimate. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he pulled the car over and he said, we're not, we're not going to do that. You have got to let go. Mm. You have got to let go. And that's when I asked him, well, does your mother still... Can I talk to your mother about keeping her? And he said, I don't want my parents to pay for my mistake. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, and then and then believe it or not, I continued to see him uh, until he finally um, until it was finally obvious to me when I finally caught on that I think he just didn't know, given the circumstances, how to end the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think I, I think he had some compassion for what I was going through. Mm-hmm. But we parted ways um, sometime that summer. Okay. And then I got a phone call in July because I kept calling my social work. Oh, I'm sorry. Then I took the bus by myself on my 18th birthday mm-hmm. into Milwaukee. My social worker picked me up and he took me to the courthouse and this gigantic courtroom in um, Milwaukee County mm-hmm. and um, where I just stood up and they asked me if I knowingly, willingly mm-hmm. relinquished my parental rights and I said one word, yes, mm-hmm. and then I signed the paperwork and then he put me back on the bus. That was a tough day. It was a terrible day. Tough day, tough day. And just signing the papers, whether you're in the courtroom or not, is just tough. And I'm just in this chunk, in just so many people, strangers, and 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 again, no, no parental support, no, mm-hmm. nobody. Just I, I will say again, my social worker was a very nice man. Okay. I often wonder what happened to him, but um, I kept in touch with him. Kept asking if she had been placed. And then at some point in July, he called me and said, you know, we placed your child, your baby, and she is um, being adopted by a family. They're professionals. They own their own business. Um, they have several of their own children. Mm. 
And so that would have made her, you know, like three months old or almost four months old by then. And I think she was four months old. Okay. Had been in foster care the entire time because, one more time, difficult to place child. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so she, so then the feelings were so, it was such a roller coaster. I Mm -hmm. was both relieved but then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. This is really over for me. That's that it's grief. Somebody else's child now. That's that grief. That's that um, disenfranchised grief that is grieving. And I use the word in comparison is the death. It's the death of your relationship with her now at that particular point. And people don't understand. When you say disenfranchised, if, if let's, heaven forbid, but if you had lost her, to death, you probably would have gotten condolences. Exactly. But with with placement, there are no condolences. Hallmark doesn't even make a card. No. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, really? No. Yeah. And you can't talk about it. Yeah. Well, if you decide to talk about it, you get this blank look, or they look at you, and I, I mean, I, that's I got a lot. I talked about it, and I, I say this, I say it fun, you know, and in humor, but it's true. Whether you talk to me or not, I was going to talk, and they ignored me. You know, not only just my family, but just people is like, because I was going to voice it. But when you don't get that response back, as if you start thinking, okay, now I, I never stopped talking, but still, I was not acknowledged. Just no, not no, acknowledged. No, and be- again, because the entire culture mm-hmm. is like they're all sitting there thinking, "Well, good for you. You did the right thing." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, You're uh, exactly right, Ruby. Yeah, and it's 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 really um, yeah. You, there, and and no no counseling. I mean, there no right there, right. There was nobody to talk to. We weren't we weren't talking to each other like you and I are doing now. There, you Mm-mm. know, and and. I did meet people along the way, and I've had a, I have a, a couple of different really good friends that we found out, you know, at some point in our relationship that we both had experienced this, mm-hmm. and now we both have had the experience, one of my dear, dear friends, uh, of reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so tell me how it is now, now while moving forward. Yes, well, um, in... In 1994, January 1994, my uh, friend from the home, my smoking room buddy, <laughs> she uh, she reunited with her son. Okay. And she called me and said, I can find your daughter. I know what to do. And I said, really? And she said, I can go to the county courthouse and I can, I can look at a list of children born on any given day and I can request to look at six birth certificates mm-hmm. and I'm like really so she did this and here's one of my favorite parts of my story my daughter's mother kept the name that I gave her wow she said I figured you named her that for a reason so she, so she's my friend saw the name she's on this given day she said I want to see this person mm-hmm so we knew the delivering doctor, we knew the hospital, we we knew the time, 
all we need to know is who's the parents now, mm-hmm. parents of record. And she went to the phone book and she says to me on the phone. Phone book, phone book. You remember my story? It was still phone books back in 1973. That's how I phone books. <laughs> and she said, they still, this family still lives at the same house. It's on the, the same address. It's on the birth certificate. And so I said, wow. So she gave me the information and I sat up all night. And by this time, my daughter's just going to be turning 23. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I called her adoptive mom the next day and introduced myself okay. as Angela's birth mother. And she said, I'm so happy you called. Wow. Wow. And that day, um, she said, I'm... I'm waiting for her and your granddaughter. Mm. They're on their way here, and I'm, I babysit for her, for, for your granddaughter. And then my daughter got on the phone, and her mom said to her, I'm talking to your birth mother, and she's a wonderful woman. Mm. And I got on the phone with my daughter, and... Uh, we talked, and she went to work, and I did not. I don't know how she went to work that day. Mm. I called in to my boss and said, "You need some time off." <laughs> not coming to work. I don't know when I'm coming back. Right, right, right. That's what I tell. I tell. I tell moms who are searching because it's that you don't know when you're going to find them, and as soon as you do, or you need to talk to them, take some time off. Don't even try to do yes. nothing. Mm-hmm. No, you can't. There's no, there's nothing else that can be done. Just, I was six months. I work. I run my own business, so I had that flexibility of doing that. For six months, I had my other team working on different things. I was like, mm. I mean, like, yeah, it's just that overwhelming. It's just yeah. that overwhelming. It just was. Yeah. And uh, we, um, so we were in reunion. I met her. My father was ill and with cancer. Mm-hmm. I, and my father, so I called my mother and I told her, I found my daughter. I called my siblings. I called anybody I could think of. Mm-hmm. I found my daughter. I called the birth father because I had met with him a couple of times over the years. Um, once to fill out an affidavit to open the birth records. Okay. And once... Just we happened to be in this, our hometown in the same the same time, but I called him, told him, gave him the information, and uh, anyway, my dad called me back that day, and he was so this was January. He ended up passing away in May. He said to me, "I'm happy for you, but I do not want to meet her." And I don't know what that was about. I was glad. See, I was glad to hear. It was too hard for him. I mean, like, I'm on outside looking in, but think about what we just said. Whether he showed that emotion, then he still felt it. But let's think about it. His, that was his, she was his first grandchild. Even after all those years had passed, he's still not able to do it. I think he just didn't want to revisit decisions he had made. Mm-hmm. And especially when he was pretty much at death's door. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went home to see him prior to his passing, was the first, that was in April, and that's when I met my daughter and my granddaughter mm-hmm. for the first time. Wow. 
Yeah. So wow. it was like a door closing. and Yeah. Yeah. Renewal of another generation. Two generations. Yeah. Two yeah. generations. And That's and, awesome. Yeah. And, and, and I, in 1996, I met with the birth father. I happened to be on a business trip in his, in, where he had moved to and mm-hmm. his, and I, and he came to see me and we visited for hours and I gave him pictures of his daughter mm. and his granddaughter and he said he was going to call her but for 25 years mm. before he passed they never connected wow and I did finally did she want that she did and okay. then she told me at one point she's like just leave him alone he's okay. already decided right. and you are just you're just making me feel worse. Okay. Um, and, but I did, then she finally told me she wanted to meet someone in his family. And this was before he passed. Mm-hmm. I was able in, to, in 2016, I was able to introduce her to her aunt. Okay. And several of her cousins mm-hmm. in 2017, when her birth father passed away, we were invited to come to the funeral and we did. My okay. daughter, my granddaughter, my grand, my daughter's husband, my partner, me, we all went to the funeral and, um, wow. and, and she saw her father for the first time and last time and only time. Yeah. yeah. But she met another uncle and lots of cousins. Okay. And that was the beginning of the end of her relationship with me. So, so far. Right. Meeting them, I wanted that for her. Yvonne, I wanted, Mm -hmm. she is in a kind of a racial identity crisis. She Mm. was raised in a Caucasian family in Mm -hmm. a Caucasian town. She was the first black person in her city. Wow. And, and, and she, she was the youngest of Eight. She, they had seven children of their own when they mm. adopted her. Wow. I had a wonderful friendship with her mother. Um, I, I had many face-to-face visits with her and many mm-hmm. phone conversations with her. And um, but meeting, I wanted her to meet her father's family because she's she looks like and identifies as a black woman today, mm-hmm. and. She deserved. <laughs> I just wouldn't let go. I yeah. just hound, I'm, I'm telling you, I hounded those people mm-hmm. until somebody said, "Okay." Mm-hmm. And um, they were very kind to her, and and many of the people at this funeral, we, we kind of Shanghai this funeral. It was kind of embarrassing because once she showed up, people are like, "This is who?" Mm-hmm. And um, but what happened was. They had a different. They have a different story about why uh, her father did not marry me. Why he did not mm-hmm. want to meet her. Mm-hmm. They have a different story, and it's and it's um, it's turned the tables. And I can't. I'm the only surviving person in this whole drama, mm-hmm. besides her. Right. 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 Um, so I tell my story as 
to the degree of truth that I'm capable mm-hmm. and I believe I'm being honest. Right. But um, clearly there's missing information. And I believe if he had met her, he would have been honest with her. Right. Right. And I wish he had. I wish he, yeah. I wish his family didn't have to come up with a version that. Right. <laughs> you know, and I've heard, I've heard um, a couple of, I think there was the last Facebook Live we did. We had adoptees, birth moms, and uh, adoptive parents on, a mom on. And one of the adoptees said, we want to know the truth, even if it hurts us. Mm. Even if it's bad. Mm-hmm. And a couple of other adoptees agreed. Uh, they, they, and the word was transparency. Give us transparency. Other, otherwise, you're keeping things from us. And if you really want us to heal, we need to know everything. And they've had so many. There's, they, yeah, they've been in the dark for so long. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, there's, I get, you know what, I, to the best of my ability, and I always have to say that, because I don't know what she, what it's like to be her. Mm-hmm. I, I know. Have no idea. And I, the only thing, the last conversation we had was in October of 2020. It was a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. She, she asked me to not speak. And for three and a half hours, she said everything she needed to say. Okay. And um, at the very, very end, the only thing I said was, you know, she thanked me for listening. And mm-hmm. I thanked her for being honest. It was really painful. Right. But I said, you know, I know you, I, I know I don't know what it's like to be you. Right. But I right. promise you, you have no idea what it's like to be me. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. It is the way it is. You know, and I, I, I say all the time, that's why the different perspectives. I started listening to adoptees, podcasts and reading and books and all of that, even before I met my son, because I wanted to see his part of it. Not it wasn't him, but just get that perspective. And, and again, you know, one of the first things I remember saying to him, and it was like the first conversation of letting him know who his birth um, dad was um, for a period of time. He didn't know he was adopted. So it's addressing all of that. And I said, you will get the absolute truth from me. Always, always. And a comment that was said is that, and speaking for himself, it's like, you have to have to get that transparency or else you'll feel betrayed. Yes. You'll feel betrayed, you know. And so I, I put it out there, you know, and I've, I've, I don't say God it myself, but I want to give him all of what he needs at the same time. I'm giving myself all of what I need. So it's both aspects. We need to heal as birth moms. They need to heal. So we need to give him what we are able to give to our children with that. And they're going through that process. They are. They are. And, and there's no timetable. There's that roller coaster. They're going to fall off. We're going to fall off. But that's just part of the journey. It is a journey. And, yeah. And, and there, you know, and I, and I'm not without hope that. Yeah. I would love um, my daughter's uh, mother that raised her right. passed away um, last year, mm. and um, you know, I, I, I have, I feel so, 
I feel bad that we're estranged right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to step into and right, right, yeah, try to step yeah. into her shoes. She was a she's a hero to me. Yeah, um, I, I hear a lot of negative comments about adoptive parents, and I, I, I'm. I sh- it takes nurture and nature. That's right. Takes both of them. I mean, for for the whole triad, more so for the adoptee because they were there to raise them. And I, I this is where I say it. I gave my son life. They taught him how to live life. That's right. That's how exactly I put it. Right. That's how I put it. And 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 the and the you know um, a lot of a lot of first mothers um, don't like the term birth mother, mm-hmm. but um, I always. I always knew that that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I birthed this. I I carried. Her. Mm-hmm. I, feel ba- I do feel bad about the smoking, but <laughs> I, I carried her and I birthed her and yeah, and um, and so in their household after they met me, I was the B mom and okay. she was the A mom. Okay, <laughs> and I said to her one day, I said, "You should be the A mom. You should be right, right, her. right. You were yeah. there for it all." And Absolutely. Well, you know, and, and just as you shared, Ruby Lee, about the journey, the journey, and it's up, down, sideways, and so forth, different aspects, whether the family was there, not there, what they said, what they said, what, what are the ideas, whether it's gotten race, whether it's gotten birth, illegitimacy, you know, like, all, of all of that, and what prevailing factor, because I do agree for is I use birth mom myself because I gave birth, and that birth bond will always be there, but along with it. What are some last, because we need to end up now, what are some thoughts you were giving to birth moms, adoptees, just to hold constellation? Because we're in this life law, this life law. And that's it. That's the message. It's, there's, I endure, I endured grief when I didn't know my daughter. Mm-hmm. I endured grief meeting her and thinking mm-hmm. about all the lost time mm-hmm. with her. And now I'm at a whole different level. Yeah. What I'm also at is she... She may not like me right now, mm-hmm. but she knows who I am. She yes, knows where she came from. Yes, and I and I want if, if there are people who have told me I don't want to meet my birth family, and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. if, that, if that works for you, that's right, that's, that's right. You got that choice, and it is your choice. But if it's a burning desire, mm-hmm. I say let's do it. And absolutely. I'm, I'm just grateful. Thank you for an opportunity. Oh, you're so I, I happy. I feel so much. You know, I've been sad lately because okay. a lot of what's going on. But yeah. this is good. This and and it's good to talk. And I tell you, every time I do a podcast, it's an hour of therapy. So I've had three hours of therapy today. You know, so. <laughs> well, I'm happy to help. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and that is it. Sharing with each other. It has been so awesome in doing this podcast. And I knew there was a need. The numbers are going off the chart, which shows me the need from everybody's listening and, and asking that and wanting to know and have that have that situation, just like you had the conversation with the girls who are in the home. We are as birth moms now having this conversation. And I just say to people, talk, talk, talk with yourself in the mirror, with support groups, with therapists, you've got to get your help. You've got to work for healing yourself. And I say, give yourself grace. 
Reunion is hard. Repeat after me. Reunion is hard. Whether you've met your child or mom or parent or not, it's hard. Except when we accept what it is, we can better deal with it. And this relationship is the only one we have like it. So yes, nothing to draw from. But exactly. No playbook. There is no playbook. So if you're looking for, and I, I get this sometimes, whether I'm on a support group or I do a presentation or something like that, and people will ask me questions. I don't have the answers to. And I'm not going to tell you that I have the answers because every situation is different. Everyone. Everyone, and you have to decide for yourself. But I'm, I'm seeking to, with this podcast, with the work I do, we have our Birth Moms Real Talk Village and so forth, is to help you come to that decision and be that support for you while you're healing and grieving. And good on you. I'm yes. so grateful. Yes. Grateful for you and all the other folks that are out there doing what you're doing right now. Thank you so you much. It's keep the conversation going. Have to keep the conversation coming. You've been listening to Birth Moms Real Talk podcast. My name is D. Yvonne Rivers. I'm your host. We've had Ruby Lee here today. So happy to have you. But go on our Facebook, subscribe to our Facebook. We have Facebook Live two Saturdays a month. One particular is a hot topic. The other one typically bring in a triad. So like our Facebook, go on and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify. Give us a five-star review if you like it. Send me emails and whatever and support us. It costs money to do this podcast. It's been coming out of my pocket. My corporation has a total sponsor, but Patreon is one way you can support us. So if you go on our website, you'll see our donate link with Patreon. So I'm asking everyone to give us some support, whether it's monthly, whether it's one time or whatever. And Birth Moms out there, we have a private group just for you. Birth Moms Real Talk Village. Takes a village to raise a child. Takes a village to keep birth moms together. So we have private Facebook. We do a private Zoom each month. Right now, we're reading Primal Womb, Ruby Lee. We're reading that and discussing that, and really a lot of stuff is coming out of that. And we move on to others just to be that support with each other, because that helps us of having that connection with each other. So thanks for tuning in, listen in, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening into Birth Moms Real Talk where birth mothers share their journeys and we have an open and honest conversation about adoption. If you would like to share your story or you have any comments, you can reach us at birthmomsrealtalk.com or email us at Yvonne at birthmomsrealtalk.com. If you like what you heard, we would appreciate your support on Patreon as a supporter. Find out more on our website. Tune in next time. See you then. Oh, 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 oh,